0: Um, C.A. students, good to be with you guys tonight. If I haven't gotten to meet you yet, my name is Levi. I'm one of the pastors on the team here, and I love getting together on Wednesday nights. Thanks for, just want to say, I know it's busy with Christmas and with finals and all that, and I just want to say it matters that you're here for you, but it also matters for everyone else that's here because we're a body together, Amen? amen? Amen. So thanks for being here. If you've been with us the past few weeks at C.A. students, well, if you were here last week, you were by yourself. But if you were here the two weeks before that, um, we were in this teaching series called Game Plan. In the classic sense, it's an apologetic series where we're talking about reasons to believe in and love God. But we're not, I'm, we're trying to not just like give you guys facts for your next conversation, but really give you like a strategy, give you uh, a way to navigate these conversations in a way that's loving and kind and powerful, right? And so uh, we talked the first week, we want to be ready for these conversations, meaning we want to be looking for them, even initiating them at times. We want to be nice. Jesus was loving, you know, and, and we're not going to be winning people over by being jerks. We want to be nice as we have these conversations, and we also want to be strategic, and the main strategy that we've been talking about is to navigate these conversations through questions, and so last time we gathered, we talked about the problem of evil. If God is all powerful and God's all good, then why is there evil in the world, right? And we talked about that about how God is, he really is good and he really is powerful and he made the world good and he's going to make it all good again. Um, and we, I just gave you guys three questions that I want to remind you guys of because I want these questions to be like a uh, quick draw for you, to be like off the top of your head in these conversations. And so if someone asks something or presents something, you could always say, why do you ask, right? And you can kind of gauge their, their tone, their mood, why they're asking that question. The second question is, what do you mean by that? and help have them define their terms so you can actually be addressing what they're asking and not something else. And then finally, how would you answer that question if you were to answer it, right? And you can kind of gauge their familiarity with the topic and, and actually meet them with at their point of need, not just kind of recite a bunch of facts. Does that make sense? And so tonight, the technique that I wanna teach you guys is when someone's talking to you, recognizing the difference between an assertion and an argument, right? An assertion is that the Patriots are the greatest football team that's ever been, right? Right? And the argument is, right? And so that's an assertion. And so then, I don't even like the Patriots. I don't know why I said them, right? And then, but it's not an argument until you provide evidence, does that make sense? And you're like, because rings, <laughs> right? And so, so anyone can say anything, right? They can say the Patriots, are, they can say In-N-Out's the greatest fast food burger. They can say things like the Bible is contradicts itself and it's full of errors, right? People can say assertions, right? But it's not an argument until they provide some evidence. Does that make sense? And so that's the first point. There's a difference between assertions and arguments, and the difference is evidence, right? When you, when, you say, when, when you say your assertion because and then you give a reason or you give evidence, that's when it becomes an argument, right? I love this verse. It's kind of a sassy verse from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17. It says, the first person to speak in court sounds right until the cross-examination begins, <laughs> right? And so what does that mean? It means anyone can say anything. That doesn't make it true, right? Anyone can say anything. Where is the evidence, right? And so, CA students, why do I bring this up? Because I want to encourage you. People are going to level all sorts of assertions against Christians, against what Christians believe. And I would be sad if every time you heard an assertion against belief in the Bible, belief in God, that you panicked you're like, oh, I didn't know that was true. It might not be true, right? And so I want to equip you, and really the question that goes with this is when you recognize someone just throws an assertion out there, Christians are bigoted, Christians are closed-minded, Christians are whatever, the Bible is this, the Bible is that, you can say, again, kindly, lovingly, what led you to that conclusion? Why, Why do you believe that, right? And, and ask them, you're kind of helping them, right? They're just making an assertion without evidence. You're kind of saying like, hey, where's, where's some of your evidence? Let's, let's try to level that up into an argument, right? Because then we can address that and we can talk about that. But when you ask questions, it opens up the conversation and it keeps it going. You're able to keep engaging with them, right? And so I want you guys to feel confident and not be shaken by every assertion that comes your way. And so for the rest of our time tonight, I just want to... Uh, talk about three assertions that are made kind of against Christian belief, specifically in the realm of faith and science. And so um, I I want you guys, I I always feel like it's a bummer when Christians have this subconscious belief that like I I have to kind of not believe in science if I want to believe in God. That's a shame because that's not true. Right, And so I just want to talk about three assertions that you might hear, and I just want to provide you with not just assertions, but arguments, with evidence of why there's very good reasons to believe what Christians believe. Amen? The first assertion you might hear is that faith is opposed to science. Or some version of, if you believe in God, you must not believe in science. Or because I believe in science, I don't believe in God if someone was to say something like that, I just really hope you would say, oh, what led you to that conclusion? Or like, what, 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 what did you hear that made you think that? Right? And, and they might not quite know how to respond to that. And maybe you could help them by asking one of those other questions of, what do you, what do you mean by that, that faith is opposed to science? because that will force them to define what they mean by faith and define what they mean by science. And I think that's maybe one of the most fruitful things we could do right now. And so what is faith? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. To kind of paraphrase that, faith is believing something's true and, and living as though it were true, even if it cannot or has not yet been proven, right? And so there's something that's not proven, but there's evidence for it. And so I'm going to, even though I cannot prove it, I'm going to accept it as true and live as though it were true. That's what faith is, right? Now you might, what, what's a common misconception is only people who believe in the supernatural live by faith, when in reality, everybody lives by faith. Who believes in math? Oh, no. <laughs> it's not meant to be super rhetorical, right? But I hope many of you believe in math. Oh, no! I was a math major. I was prepared for this, right? Here's the thing. Mathematics. Most of mathematics is based on six axioms, right? And the simplest one to understand is the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. All right? Now. That is fundamentally unprovable. That's what it means to be an axiom, right? It's not provable, but there's so much evidence for it, and we've never seen anything to the contrary that we accept that to be true, and we live as though it were true and build from there. And voila, the rest of mathematics as we know it. All those sweet little postulates and theorems you learn in geometry, right? All of those are built on these axioms. Did you know that's faith? You're accepting something you cannot prove, but there is lots of evidence for. You're accepting it to be true, and you're living as though it's true, and you're building from there. If you do math, you do faith, right? What about history, right? Did you know documents can be forged? (laughs) Did you know things can be faked? Things can be planted, right? All of a sudden, it's like, how do you know Rome was real? You know, it's like, well, okay. Yeah, the aqueducts, that's a good argument, right? Because there's evidence. However, then you get, like, conspiracy theorists like, yeah, well, people could have, like, made aqueducts and put them and buried them, right? Aliens, right? And it's like, okay, take the alien part out. Like, sure, that was possible. But is that what the evidence points to? No, (laughs) right? And so people... If you ever want to do history, you can't prove things. But there is a lot of great evidence for things. And so even though you can't prove it, you evaluate the evidence and you accept it to be true and live from there. See, students, everyone lives by faith. Everyone lives by faith. I could give lots more of examples, right? And so that's what we talk about when we say faith. Now let's talk about science for a second, right? I just want to be clear. Science, by definition— is measuring and observing the natural world, matter and energy, things you can touch, right? And so when people say, there's no scientific evidence for God, I'm like, cool, science wasn't trying to do that. God is the supernatural, right? He is spirit. And so when you say like, this thing that's supposed to measure and observe the natural world, it's not observing the supernatural. I don't know what's happening. It's like, no! Science didn't set out to do that, right? Like that's, it's a painful contradiction of terms, right? And the supernatural, just by etymology, it's like that which is above and outside of the natural. And so I'm not shocked or dismayed or even surprised when there's, it's like, well, we can't scientifically observe God. I know. (laughs) It's because he's spirit, he's supernatural, right? And so to believe in the supernatural is not to believe against science, Science was never addressing it, (laughs) right? You can fully believe in science to accurately measure and observe the natural world, and you can believe in the supernatural. Those are not at odds, right? And then there's so much evidence of how God has impacted the world and how that points to the need for the supernatural, but we'll get to that in a second, right? And so what science is doing is it's observing the natural. And so when people say, like, well, if you believe in science, you can't believe in God, (laughs) right? Or if you believe in science, you don't have faith. Actually, a lot of science is faith, (laughs) right? There are a lot of things that you can't, in the strictest sense, prove, but there's so much evidence for it that I accept it as true and I live as though it were true. That's what faith is. That's what science does a lot of. And in fact, you know, the scientific method of like, oh, I have an observation. I form a hypothesis. I test it. I revise. You know, you can can do those things in in your experience with God, right? Does that make sense? These things are not at odds, CA students. I would hate for you to think that to believe in faith, you, you have to be dumb. That's not true. These things are not at odds. And so with this false dichotomy of faith and science, the conversation usually revolves around the origin of the universe in general. And around the origin of life in particular. And so, for the rest of our short time, I'm going to focus on that. The biblical worldview comes from Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Again, this is not an anti-science claim, right? It's a claim about the supernatural, right? And then... And we're going to see later about how it's the most sensical according to the evidence, right? But I want to evaluate some other anti-faith assertions and see what evidence they rely on to see if that's sturdy. Does that make sense? So second assertion I want to talk about is the universe started on its own, right? So if there is no God, the existence of the universe must be explained without him. Follow? Cool. The Big Bang Theory claims that all matter in the universe initially was condensed in a sphere smaller than the size of the period at the end of this sentence, right? And that sphere exploded and helps explain why the universe, according to many cosmologists, is inflating or expanding. Have you heard that? Like, the universe is expanding. Cool. This theory offers no explanation for the origin of that sphere. Do you see that problem, right? If the, even if that's true, there's, there's no explanation for the origin of that sphere. And so there are three categories of how that could have come about. First, it could have been spontaneously generated. It just happened. It just appeared, right? And that should seem dumb to you, just to be honest, right? Right, like it just created itself. That's not how things happen. Specifically, that violates the first law of thermodynamics, right? Which is that energy in a closed system is constant, right? And some people say, like, "Um, well, it wasn't a closed system. Yes, it was. If it was the Big Bang, then the blast radius is the system. And there, by definition, is nothing beyond that. Yes, it's a closed system, right? And so, violates the first law of thermodynamics. Not only that, but spontaneous generation of matter and energy has never been observed before, and there is no way to try to make that happen. So if you believe in that, what are you doing? You're accepting something to be true, and living as though it were true, except you're doing it against the evidence. That's a faith claim. It's not just a faith claim, it's a bad faith claim. Second option, the universe and matter and energy are eternal, right? It just, it never had a beginning. Well, this violates, you may have guessed it, the second law of thermodynamics, right? Which is that the energy in that closed system being constant, that constant energy is constantly transforming into less and less usable forms of energy. Some people call this entropy, right? And so if the universe always existed, that means it had an infinite past. You know what infinite means? Lots. (laughs) It means forever, right? And so if energy is constantly decreasing in usable forms, and there's an eternal past, that means currently there would be no usable energy. But there is, right? And so that clearly cannot be what happened. So again, if you were to believe that, that's a faith claim against the evidence, The only other category is that the earth was created. That's the only other, and that it's not a closed system, but it's an open system because of the divine, because of the supernatural interacting. It was created by a non-physical being outside of the boundaries of the universe. You see, this is a faith claim being made with the evidence. Right now, I just kind of give you negative evidence, which means it's not this, it's not this. It's a kind of process of elimination, here's this. There's a lot of other positive evidence for the God being the creator, we're talking about fine-tuning of the universe. Talk about the sequence of Genesis 1 matches up strikingly with what we know about cosmology and the formation of planets. It's astounding, right? But I don't have time to say everything. And so we're moving on to biogenesis, right? How could life have started on its own? Naturalists, people that just believe in the natural, no supernatural, believe that everything started from one spontaneously forming something. So again, spontaneously forming That doesn't make any sense, right? This has never been reproduced and we have no reason to think it was possible. Some people are like, well, it was proteins and if you heat them, then they start linking and then they stop unless you stop, keep doing that, right? That doesn't work. The proteinoids don't get much further. They're like, it was RNA. We can't get RNA to self-replicate or copy without a lot of help and investment in it, right? They're like, membranes. Well, no, right? (laughs) Because, right? Uh, lipids can't carry genes or form enzymes, right? And so then we get weird. (laughs) And people are like, okay, panspermia. And what they mean by that is that mm, asteroids carried bacteria from deep space and landed on Earth, and that's where the life came from. And I would say, first of all, homie, (laughs) you didn't solve the problem. Where did the asteroids get the bacteria, right? Second of all, it would have taken millennia to get here and the conditions of deep space are not exactly hospitable to life. The bacteria would have died. Thirdly, the moon and other surrounding space rocks are sterile. It wouldn't have been like, oh, Snipe Earth, right? It would have been around. And fourthly, that's a terrible name for a theory, right? And so like, there's no reason to believe that. There's no reason to believe that. And no, I'm not saying it again, right? And then the final option is like, oh, it's the multiverse. Seriously. Seriously. This is when the MCU tar started to decline, right? If that's not evidence enough, you no, know, but seriously, there's no evidence for a multiverse, right? But that is, that is something. You know what that is? A bad faith claim. It's something people are just accepting as true against the evidence. There's no evidence for the multiverse, right? And so the arguments that have long been used in support of abiogenesis and are continued to be promoted in textbooks are now all acknowledged to be wrong based on the physical evidence, right? The third, the third uh, assertion I want to address is that life evolved on its own, right? So that's like how like, matter and energy originated. But what about life forming on its own? I love Acts chapter 17, verse 28. The biblical worldview is that, it says, for in him we live and move and have our being. That life didn't just start, but is maintained by God, right? There's this concept called irreducible complexity. Stay with me. I'm not gonna get too sciencey, but I'm only gonna get a little sciencey. right? So cells have three core systems. Membranes, say membranes. membranes. Proteins. Protein. Genes. Genes. Right, membranes are like, Hold it together. Proteins are like the metabolism, the chemical reactions to create energy, right? And genes are like the code for reproduction. The cells need all three. Here's the thing. These three components are inseparably intertwined, right? So some people are like, oh, we found a membrane and that evolved into everything else. Or like we found a protein and that evolved. Or we found, what was the last one? A gene and that evolved into everything else. That doesn't work because genes carry instructions for making proteins which means proteins only exist because of genes. But proteins are also essential for maintaining and copying genes, so genes only exist because of proteins. And proteins made by genes are crucial for the construction of lipids and membranes. Right. And so in other words, if you take any one of these out, they can't form the other one. It doesn't make sense to say everything formed from this one thing. It's irreducibly complex. The only... The only other possibility is that life arrived fully formed. Oh, hey, that's what I believe. <laughs> right? And, and there are some naturalists, people that don't believe in the supernatural, that are believing that, that believe that, remember that thing I'm not going to say, that life arrived <laughs> fully formed, right? It arrived manufactured, but they completely reject the notion of a manufacturer. That doesn't make sense. That's not what the evidence points to right? The last thing that kind of naturalists fall back on is this idea of large sample sizes, super long times, and infinite numbers of trials, right? I'm sure if you haven't, don't feel bad, but I'm sure many of you have heard of like s- some of these just like astronomically huge numbers of like how, the, how fine-tuned the universe is and h- how it unlikely it is that it happened by chance. And some naturalists will hear that and they're unfazed. They're like, it doesn't matter to me how small that is if there's an infinite number of trials, then anything unlikely will eventually happen. It's guaranteed to eventually happen with an infinite number of trials. And I would respond to that and say, homie, you don't have a good reason to believe it happened once, (laughs) much less an infinite number of times. That is a fat faith claim that you're making in absence of any evidence. The, The only evidence they would point to is that it happened but that's a circular argument that it happened because it happened. That there, there's no reason to believe that this happened even once by accident. There's and certainly no reason to believe that it happened, there was an infinite number of opportunities for the Big Bang to finally get it right. Right? And so, see, students, why are we talking about this? Why does it matter to affirm that God created? God is the creator, and when you understand God's the creator, everything else about God and about following him falls into place. Psalm 113, 5-6 says, Who is like the Lord our God, the one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth? God is the only uncreated one. What that means is he is categorically different. There's no one like him. The Bible has a word for that, and it's Holy right? And because God's the creator, he's the designer. That means he's the definer. He defines what is good and right and true. That means he's the judge. That means he's holy. And if you get loose on like, oh, this probably all just happened by accident, you get loose on everything else about who God is. Because if he's not the creator, then why would I be accountable to him, right? And you lose all other sorts of things about believing that the bible is true right and not only that but you're going against the evidence ca students so i'm just begging you to evaluate the evidence and live based on that most of all ca students just as my ca students family whom i love i just want you to not be shaken by assertions people make i want you to feel confident that we have good reasons to believe what we believe And I'm not expecting you to memorize every fact I just shared. The reason I shared a lot of that is I just want you to feel confident. Oh, there there are good reasons, (laughs) right? And I want you to feel equipped to be able to like, when someone makes an assertion, be like, oh, that was just an assertion. I don't need to be shaken by that. I don't need to worry about that. I'm just going to lovingly ask them and enter into a conversation and perhaps share some of the really good news that I have. Amen? Jesus, thank you for being the creator. God, thank you for creating us and inviting us into your story. God, I pray that you would use us to share the goodness of who you are. Help us to do that lovingly, humbly, winsomely. and Help us to draw people to your kingdom. God, we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen.